Welcome to the Super Expander Podcast. My name is Corrine Phelps, your host. I'm a business and growth coach, money mindset expert, and a multi-passionate entrepreneur. My journey has taken me all over from working in finance to owning a boutique fitness studio. I found myself burnt out, miserable, and questioning everything. Saying things to myself like, there's got to be more to life than this. Refusing to settle for a mediocre existence, I went all in, learning how to harness untapped potential and rewire the subconscious mind to create an extraordinary life. The last 10 years have been a crash course in self-love, building a business, creating community, building wealth, and doing what it takes to just freaking go for it. My mission is to help you align to your purpose, Rewire your subconscious to support your big dreams and vision and create a life that you're absolutely obsessed with. So sit back, tune in, and prepare to expand. Today's guest is one of the most humble, most grounded human beings I have ever met. And I truly believe that every single entrepreneur needs a coach in their life just like Jason. He is a true gift, but more than just a gift to the coaching industry and every entrepreneur he works with, he is literally just an amazing human being. Jason Liu is a business coach, a keynote speaker. His focus is to teach entrepreneurs how to lean into their expertise and build a business around what they are meant to do. Before going out on his own, Jason spent 19 years in the health and wellness space of direct sales, building two seven-figure businesses. He is wise. He is talented. He asks thought-provoking questions. He thinks outside of the box. He is just an amazing human being, and I love having conversation with him. So I'm so excited for you to learn about his story, to really get a breath of how much talent and wisdom he brings to this world. Hello, hello, super expanders. I am bursting at the seams with excitement and grateful to be able to share Jason Liu with you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> uh, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for the day that we get to hop on this <laughs> podcast and have this conversation. And finally, finally, it's here. <laughs> so everybody that listens to the podcast knows that I waste no time and I go deep. But before before I go for the deep the deep question, I'll give a little context to everyone and how we actually know each other. We <laughs> met. Geez, I think time really flies. It's like I think it's almost two years ago now. It's almost two years. Yes, we were in a a workshop together initially on money mindset, and we were we were both learning about money mindset from the the infamous, famous, amazing Nick Pags, and from there ended up in Project Limitless together. And then it's just been a journey ever since then that we've been like popping in and out of each other's circles and and lives, and I feel like I'm just so grateful that we that we're always kind of like re reconnecting. I think the fun part is it's crazy how small the world is of, I think, coaching and courses and people in the space. And it's funny how we all kind of bounce in and out of these spaces so often and how often like lines intermingle in terms of like who knows who in the space. Um, so it's been really, I think it's a really interesting space to think back to where it all started with that money mindset course and kind of where 
everyone that was in that course with us have kind of shown up two years later. It's been kind of a wild ride. It is. It's so, so funny. I think maybe at some point it'll be like, it'll be like five degrees of, of Nick Pags. Is that For real. <laughs> we can or, look back to that one money, money mindset course and be like, could you imagine if we didn't all meet there? <laughs> oh my goodness. So, and I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that we had that that chance to meet each other there and get to know each other further inside a project limitless, which really was, I think one of the most unique programs I've ever gone through. Nick showed up and yeah. just gave so much and the relationships that were forged inside of that container, I feel like were priceless. There, there, uh, it's a special group. It's fun to see kind of where everyone's landed up since then too. But yeah, I've, uh, funny enough, like I've been helping Nick with his backend on that program for, two years. So it's been interesting as well, just to kind of see his growth as well as just people come through the program and how much people's lives have changed in terms of the mindset, the growth, all that fun stuff. Absolutely. The, the, the power of transformation. Hmm. Okay. So we're, di we're diving, we're diving in, we're going deep now. <laughs> I would love for you to share who Jason Lou is at at the core, like the essence of who you are, like the real, real of Jason. The real of Jason. Wow. Um, let's see. I think part of, I think I can be defined in a couple different ways. Um, so I think in some ways I'm defined as a lot through my heritage and who I am. So I'm fifth generation Chinese American. And I think a lot of my story goes back to I was 17 and I actually ended up doing a program called In Search of Roots, which essentially traces your genealogy back to mainland China. Um, and it was an interesting journey to be able to go back and find both my maternal and paternal villages in mainland China. And to give you a context, we're talking about like running sewage through the middle of the streets, the well that has the water is next to the well that has the sewage. Everything's pulled by water buffalo still. And there's one at the time, there was one running light bulb in the village. And to go back and actually see what one decision does, what one decision makes in terms of me standing in a field full of rice, looking at another boy about my same age and saying, if my great, great grandfather doesn't make the decision at about 12-ish years old to get on a boat, to travel halfway across the world, to come to a place he's never been before, I could be that kid. And it's a really humbling place to be, I think, at times to understand that how fortunate, at least in my case, I was to be in the place I was in. And I think that in a lot of ways, it shaped that I had this opportunity, that I had this ability to um, take advantage of a lot of the trials and tribulations that previous generations had sacrificed or given up to have this chance. And I watched my father have his own business and repair furniture his whole life. My mom was an educator and teacher. And I kind of always knew that I wanted to do something. I really thought I was going to go into veterinary medicine. I thought I was going to play with puppies and kitties my whole life. And then I saw a neuter and a spay, and that was the end of my veterinary career. But what ended up happening was my dad handed me a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is kind of cliche to say now. But at 17, that was the first, quote unquote, personal development book I read. My dad had always had Earl Nightingale. He had cassette tapes of Tony Robbins laying around the house. We'd listen to him while we delivered furniture on the weekends. But that book really kind of rocked my world in terms of thinking about money from a passive standpoint. And so it set me really on a journey of 
what are my gifts, what are my talents, and what are my abilities? And for someone that had always thought of himself as someone very book smart, not someone that was socially good, I was very awkward, I couldn't look people in the eye, I was afraid to speak in public, like all of those things didn't come second nature. I think entrepreneurship really kind of cracked that bubble. And so when you ask me the question of like, who's Jason, I think there's a part of me that's very much tied to family and heritage. There's a part of me that is very steeped in entrepreneurship because while owning a furniture shop and repairing furniture wasn't a tech-based company, it did. I did have two very present parents in my life who were always there, supportive. Like There are a few things that I feel like I got lucky in my life, but I felt like I got the best parents in the world who were present, who were there, who were loving, who were supportive. And at the end of the day, I think the other half of who I am is it's steeped in the side of really tapping into what's my capacity and can I get the most out of what I was given? Like I'm of this thought process of out of the 7 billion people on this planet, you're put together a certain way. And I think part of what drives me on a day-to-day basis is, did I get everything out of it? Um, Not was I better than the next person, not did I make more money than the next person, but did I did I use my gifts to the, to the best of my ability? And I think those three areas really kind of are at the core of who I am, why I do what I do, and kind of it shows up in terms of what I put first. So, yeah. Wow, such a powerful story. And a few things. One, it's personal development is, is in your DNA, essentially, as is entrepreneurship, is what I just heard. <laughs> but the fact that you actually had the opportunity to go back and witness and see where your family, like your, your ancestors lived in the way that they lived. And to be able to have that moment where you were looking at that little boy and could see yourself in him. I feel like just that is like one lesson. Like it's like a lifetime of lessons all right in a single moment. Yeah, it was, it was one of those moments that I don't think I was intending to have. And if I'm being honest, the only reason why I went on this trip was because I thought I looked good on a college resume. Like I thought going on this trip, finding my heritage, writing an essay, getting into a college, that was the whole purpose of it. And the unintentional side of it was kind of really seeing the sacrifices that were made. And even going back and seeing pictures of my father on the wall, a place that I had never been, never knew about, never knew it was still standing. The question was, would it still be there? And just how much was given to looking at who was lucky enough to get out, who was lucky enough to get out of the Cultural Revolution, flee you know, China before communism hit and they burned everything down. And essentially, like people kept track of where the family went. Um, and it opened up this whole different can of worms about like, what did my grandfather do? And how did they bring people to the, to the country? And, you know, it, all these things I never intended. But I think the biggest part of it was I got to recognize how freaking lucky I was. I wasn't just some like spoiled American kid who happened to look Chinese, who had a Nintendo and, you know, hang out with his friends. But there was a real story behind how you got here and how fortunate you were. Oh, I love that. So you, you have kids. Are you going to take them? Just on? one, just one. Why do I, oh, well, you have, you have a fur baby. I, was, I don't know why I think you had two. I'm not sure why I thought that, but 
That's good. We'll count. We'll count your, as as your adorable. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll save that for a later podcast. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hard so, podcast number two. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you do. You will we'll count your dog as, as a fur baby. So that, thanks, that's, thanks. that counts as two. So you have, you have a child and <laughs> now I'm thinking like, are you going to take your, your, you know, your, your daughter? Yeah. Your daughter. I'm stumbling over my words. Thanks for the help there. Um, <laughs> on this like pilgrimage. Yeah. So, I mean, I think at some point in time, the answer is yes. So my family tried to take me back to my village when I was really young, like six. Um, and that was a lot. So, I mean, I'm, I'm combining two stories here, but essentially this all kind of happened when I was 17, but there was a time when we went back to China and I was six and it was a bit too much. I think there's a right time to bring, <laughs> bring a That's child good. back when they're open to the experience. But what's interesting too, is my wife is, um, she's Chinese, but she was born in Vietnam. So as opposed to my family fleeing to the States, her family went to Vietnam she and her family lived in Vietnam for multiple generations, but her, when the Vietnam War happened, her father was the youngest of four siblings and they, they had to escape through the jungle and they tried to escape 10 times. And she ended up literally being in jail, like zero to three, trying to escape Vietnam. 10th time after enough bribing, they finally got out, got to the States, got to Chicago. Can you imagine like Vietnam to Chicago? So we have these two lineages that we do want her to really experience and understand, but um, I think the question is timing um, and when she's open and ready for it. So, yeah. Wow. The, the power of the human resilience never ceases to amaze me. Gosh. So has your, yeah. this is now we digress, but I have to ask, has your wife been, been back since? Yeah. So, I mean, Ho Chi Minh City, Saigon, I mean, it's, it's an amazing country to be in now. Like it's a fantastic place to go visit. Food is fantastic. Um, everything is incredibly inexpensive. Southeast Asia is great. But the year before we ended up, my wife and I got married in 2008. And the year before we got married, or actually <laughs> weeks before we got married, she actually did the same trip with the same program I did when I was 17. So she was probably 25, 26 when we got married. But she did the program. <laughs> she took off for three weeks, went back, found her ancestral village, um, in China, not from Vietnam, but her, the one that they came from in China. And then three days later, she got back covered in mosquito bites and we got married. So it was, uh, it was good. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's an amazing story. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of pivot here and move a little bit sure. into what it is that you do these days. What do you do? How do you bring your talents and gifts in the world? And I feel like kind of starting that even, I, I might've jumped the gun a little bit. You started at this assessment of what your talents and gifts were at an age that I think that most young adults don't start to ask that, that question. So I guess what I'm asking really is from that beginning sort of search for finding your talents and gifts, maybe a little bit of the evolution when you started that process to where you are today? Sure. So today I am obviously business coach. I essentially help entrepreneurs really tap into kind of what their gifts, talents, and abilities are and build businesses around that. That's what I care most about. That wasn't always the case. So I actually got my start in direct sales and network marketing. And I I've been in that, I was in that space for 19 years. 
um, I spent essentially nine, 10 years at two separate companies and saw the best of network marketing. And I saw the absolute worst of network marketing. And we can talk about that if you want to. Uh, <laughs> but I think what was interesting was I fell in love with the concept of obviously direct sales because of the passive income side of it. Whether that was a pipe dream or a little bit of smoke and mirrors, there is some passive income to it. Um, but what it put me in a position to really learn, I think it was sales. I think sales was the foundational piece that I did not, um, I think the initial goal was if I could just make money, if I could just make $10,000 a month. And the way to do it was sales. Whether that was cold dialing, whether that was horribly prospecting people or trying to talk to people in the middle of a mall, whether that was doing presentations in dens and living rooms or in front of stages full of 15,000 people, that was the foundational piece that really pushed me into a position where I had to be able to speak in front of a crowd. And I think what's interesting along the way is that when we, this maybe gets into our conversation, but we start to find people in our lives that inspire us. What I recognize most is that what inspires us typically is something that we wish we had in ourselves or maybe a part of us that we wish we could just grab that thing that that individual has, whether it's their audacity, whether it's their courage, whether it's their bravery, whether it's their ability to speak in front of a room. I had people in my life that were just incredible in front of a room. They could light it up. They could smile. They could pull it in. They could make it cry, laugh, and they could sell like crazy. And so when I saw that, I said, I want that. I didn't know how it was going to apply to life. I didn't know this was going to be my profession. It was just something that I said, I want that. And it brought about this ability to like be a student of it, whether it was recording and listening to speeches again and again, whether it was, you know, ferociously taking notes, like that was the space that I, I think really tested and really, I figured out I was decent in, um, I had an aptitude for it. And so selling kind of just became second nature for me. And yeah, I spent nine and a half years in a company, um, did decently well. And up until the point where I really began to realize some of the things that weren't so cool behind the scenes that were happening, um, that I then leave and, and look for different pastures. And when you set out to sort of determine what your talents and gifts were, did you see yourself in a sales capacity in the beginning? No. So culturally, I was really shy and really introverted. Like I had a hard time looking people in the eye and I would just stumble over my words. And I think the only thing that got me past was I had to keep giving the same presentation. It was the same sales presentation. And I probably gave it, I don't know, thousands of times, hundreds and thousands of times live and in front of people that had their arms crossed and like, they were just really skeptical. And I had to memorize it so well that eventually over time, I got good at it, but it was just, it was the discipline of it. It wasn't because I thought, Hey, I want to be great at it. Hey, I think I'm going to be fantastic at it. It was literally like trial by fire. Um, and the byproduct was I got good at it. I think that's being really good at anything takes reps. <laughs> I mean, anybody yeah. that doesn't think that it's a massive amount of reps when someone is skilled and just seems to be so talented at something, even the people who are innately gifted at sports or whatever it is, there was tremendous amount of practice that went into getting to the place where they became just 
unconsciously competent as I think what they call it when you can just basically show up and just be amazing without ever thinking about it. Yeah, that's the, I think that's the part that kids these days, they miss. No, um, <laughs> you know, like such an idiot saying that. <laughs> it is um, true though. <laughs> it's, no, social media someone, has done that. <laughs> yeah, I had someone the other day, they were like, can you just show, what's the course? How do I get good at sales? And I'm like, I can give you stuff. Like I, you can work, you can do what I, you can say the exact same words, but if you're asking how I got good, it's the crappy stuff. Like it's literally sitting in front of rooms and doing pitches that don't work, seeing people's eyes just gloss over and realizing that you have to switch it up or change your rate, change your speed. Like you don't get those experiences just by like regurgitating. And I think there's a level of being bad at something long enough until you're good at it, um, which doesn't seem to be the case now. <laughs> Well, I thought that it's, I think it's like being bad at something, knowing that you're not that great at it and hating yeah. that you're not that great at it. You're like, I am yeah. going to conquer this. I hate sucking. I have to get better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my but God. it's like, if I don't see results in three weeks or in my 12 week program, then it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, your, it's, it's, because it, it truly is. Social media has done that, right? It's like everyone sees the overnight success, but they don't see the, all of the hours, the blood, sweat, and tears that went in beforehand. Now, all of a sudden there's someone successful and they're on the map and it looks like they were in an overnight success, which just, you know, really is, I don't think anything uh, such as an overnight success. And if it, if they were, I can guarantee you one thing, they are not going to be able to hold it. They're not going to, well, yeah, they're not going to be able to maintain it. And I'll tell you what, I will take a slow burn over a, a flash in the pan. But sometimes you just want that flash. <laughs> I mean, I know that's the ego. That's the ego calling for it, right? <laughs> of course. Of course. So tell me a little bit more exactly how and what you're doing in your business now. How are you supporting entrepreneurs? What does that look like? Yeah. So it's been an interesting evolution because I think I was very heavily tactic based when I first started. So essentially helping, I mean, my coaching practice and business practice really started beginning of the pandemic. And so for a lot of people, it was taking whatever was in-person, face-to-face, fit pros, people that worked in meditation and breath work, and essentially trying to take a lot of people that were entrepreneurs in some way or self-employed in some way, taking it from face-to-face to online, whether that's building courses, programs, one-on-one coaching, whatever it is, but essentially making what they do digital and really making that pivot. And so For me, a lot of it was tactic-based when I first started. And I think what I began to realize, and this comes a lot from the program that you and I did, which is Project Limitless, was tactics get you so far. And someone can white-knuckle their their way through tactics and a template to get them to a certain point of success. But like you talked about earlier, it's really hard to sustain that level of success if what I would call your presets or belief systems don't fit it. And so what was really interesting was watching people have success and then fall off or get do coaching with me and then watch it completely fall apart. And that's not to say that it was my coaching could be my fault. But the point was that there was a part of it here where what I really missed was the inner work being able to look at, okay, what are your presets? How do you get people more comfortable in the uncomfortable? How do we shape their thoughts, belief systems? So it changes their actions and reality. And so it's been an interesting process of merging those two worlds together. Sometimes I have entrepreneurs that are very successful in what they do, 
they're not missing the tactics, but they're wondering why they can't attract a certain client, why they get stuck at a certain income level, um, why it falls apart at a certain point in time. And so what's interesting more recently has been being almost a sounding board at times to help people kind of sort through why this is working, why they're afraid to make this move. So yes, it's tactic-based. Yes, it's very entrepreneur-based. Um, but a lot of times it's helping people really kind of get to the meat of why aren't they where they want to be right now? And how do we crack them open so that they are? Yeah, that's the secret sauce. So what was the inner work that you had to do in order to arrive at the space that you could walk people through that? Ha, huh. uh, let's see. So nine years into my network marketing career, I had been around two entrepreneurs that were maybe some of the best marketers I'd ever seen in my life. The challenge was they had very questionable morals, ethics, and standards um, <laughs> to the point where they had the, they had the largest robocall suit ever in the history of the United States filed against their company um, for almost a billion dollars. This is right before my wife and I decided that we wanted to have kids. So it was probably, we'd been a couple of years married, probably 29, 28 around that time. And we we're having the discussion of, could I actually bring a child into this world and bring them into this environment? And the answer was absolutely not. I wasn't proud of who I was. I didn't like who I was within the environment. I say that now, but honestly, I had a lot of blame, anger, hate, resentments that was built up um, toward these two individuals. And truthfully, it wasn't their fault. They didn't have great morals, but it was just an easy scapegoat for me to be able to, to blame someone else. I had an individual that had by chance come to be an executive coach for the ownership of that team. And he blew me away. He was phenomenal at what he did. And for the first time, most of my representation of successful male entrepreneurs were people that came from homes that they had broken meaning divorced, um, didn't see their kids. And for someone, as you know, who values family um, at a very high level, that was always my fear, was that if I made money or if I was successful, I'd break my family. And this individual, uh, I ended up asking him, could he coach me? And that was my first really big investment into personal one-on-one -on -one coaching. I think I spent over $40,000 in a year um, with this one individual. And he was an executive coach for companies like Dow Chemical, um, you know, coached the CEO of 24 Hour Fitness. Like he was an incredible individual, had his own fitness-based company, which he sold for $200 million. And he'll be the first to tell you that all the hangups and all the things he did is exactly what you talked about, which is the growth and the lessons. I think that he was the one that really I worked with for almost two to three years really closely with because had I jumped back into business with the same presets I had, I probably would have gone back and crashed and burned again and kept repeating it until I learned the lesson. And I mean, there's so many lessons and I'm happy to go into it, but um, that was really the kind of first really big cracking of, I have to take responsibility. I have to see it differently. Um, and yeah. I have a question for you. Have you joined the Super Expander free mentorship community? If not, 
What are you waiting for? Stop what you're doing right now and text the word mentor to 202-918-3235. Text the word mentor to 202-918-3235. I send out weekly tips and inspiration to help you grow your business, to step into your wealthiest, most highest self, to harness your full potential and live an exceptional and extraordinary life. And the best part is it's really me sending those messages. So text me, say hello, and send me your questions. So what I, there's a lot of things I want to ask you about that, but the first one is, is what was the experience for you in making that investment in terms of like trusting yourself to make that big of an investment, knowing that there was going to be a return on the other side. And I ask that because I feel like there's so many people, so many listeners listening where they go, they know that they need a coach. They know that they need support in some sort of way and they'll start a conversation and have it and then find out the price. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa. <laughs> so how yeah. was it that you were able to go that far in? <laughs> go, Yeah, to, be, to trust yourself, to go that all in on coaching, which is of course now becoming, I think way more, I don't know, not, it's not really main. I mean, it's been mainstream, but way more popular, I guess now than it, it used to be, but that's a huge investment. I mean, that's a car, that's a down payment on a house. That's, that's a lot of money. So to give you some context, I think there are two conversations that I would like to share, which is one is, I think there were two major factors in it. One is I didn't do the 35, 40,000 upfront. That was not the first investment I made with this individual. I had done coaching for five, 10,000 beforehand. So if we look at the in totality, it could be 50 grand that I spent with this individual, but it was over a, the big chunk was in one year, but the first chunk was probably five, 10,000 in the first year. What I'll say about it is there were two factors. One was when I first met him, I came to him because I thought I just, I just needed to like, I just need to get to the next level. Like, I'm just grinding. I'm in this company. Yeah, these people are shady, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to find my way through it. And I wasn't looking to get out of that company. I was looking to make more money. And I had this insatiable appetite to make more money. The, so the first year was really kind of pulling apart where I was at. And what I began to realize was how the money was just masking a lot of how unhappy I was. The spending on cars and shoes and just everything to make myself look better on the outside, which is covering the fact of how miserable I was. The other half of it too, was how frustrated my wife was with me. And I would come home and complain about how bad work was, how tough it was, how much I was on the road. I was on the road 15 days out of the month, traveling, speaking, going, two suitcases, when I drop off, when I drop to the cleaners and just go again. And she asked me one day, she was just like, you know, like, you've had the same conversation. Like, I need you to like, kept complaining, probably for incessantly. She's like, I need you to step up. Like, I need you to actually be a better man. And I remember the conversation because what was interesting and what was wasn't fair about it was I would come home and literally unload everything that I hated about my career on her. And what I realized was that wasn't her role. That wasn't her job, especially if I wanted a loving, caring relationship. And 
what I began to realize was I had to put this somewhere. I couldn't put on my wife. That wasn't her job. That's not her genius. That's not what she signed up for. But I had to find a constructive way to work through my feelings. And so coaching was the first outlet, especially him. And this is very similar to what drew me to Nick Pags. He's the only other individual where it was question-based coaching. It was not, let me tell you how to live your life. Let me tell you this is how it should be. This is, let me show you and figure out what is an alignment for you so that you know what to do. And that was a really big shift for me. And so that first year was helping me recognize where I could take responsibility. And I came to the realization that I had to get out of that company because I didn't like who I was in that environment. And I thought that was the big shift was I needed to get out of that company and leave because it was a toxic relationship. So I left that company, left my identity, left my income, walked away from it, had some money stored up, spent another year not knowing what to do with myself, didn't know what to do because I didn't have the stage, the people that loved me, didn't have any of it. And what I began to realize was I could really get stuck here in like, there was so much I didn't know who I was outside of that identity. And maybe it was a, I think it happens more often with males in terms of identity connected to work but I didn't know who I was without it. And I said, if I am going to get out of this, I need someone to help me figure out who I am, where my gifts are, what my mindset is. Because I really thought the greatest failure would be not tapping into my gifts, talents, and abilities. And so I made the investment. I said, it wasn't a, I'm going to make the money back. I didn't even have a place to make money in. It was, I need to get myself right for my family, my future child, children, for my wife, and for the business I want to have. And I'll tell you this, it is by far the best investment I've ever made. The lessons I learned there are the lessons I still teach and sit on today. It, nothing's changed. But those, those hard realities, those treating people right in business, doing the right thing over what is expedient or what makes you the most amount of money, they're invaluable. They're, they're everything. Um, and yeah, they still serve today. I got chills through that whole entire story for, for so many reasons. One, I feel like when you, the, the idea that your wife was, um, so emotionally not mature, like their, her communication was so high level that she could actually come to you and say to you, that she needed you to step up and be a better man. That first of all, just like I almost made the burst out in tears crying when you said that, because that's not, not easy, but it's also, I think from your perspective, it's not easy to receive or, or hear. It has to be kind of one of the hardest things you could possibly ever hear from your partner and spouse, like, whoa, whether you knew it and felt it to be true, it's still like, wow. So I feel like I just want to like applaud you and your wife for such an amazing it's more of my wife's thing. Yeah. yeah. Relationship and like one. high level yeah. communication there because that's, yeah, it's huge. You had the wherewithal to receive that and actually take action and not, and sit and, and dwell and ruminate on it and blame. And I feel like such an amazing coach that you you came upon or that you had in your life because whether, and this is like, take note of this as you're listening, that is what a good coach does. A good, a coach, I mean, like a high level, 
a coach who like truly is a coach operates with question based coaching, right? Otherwise you're working with a mentor. If someone's telling you what to do, that's really, I think more in the line of mentorship. And if you really want anything to stick, especially when we're talking about inner work and growth, but I even think when we're talking about strategy, it has to align with you. So it has to be based on a question, right? Because we all have that inner wisdom within us and a good coach sees that they can see the kind of questions that are going to lead you to that. So I feel like mind blown that that's the essentially the first coach that you really invested in because there's when you hear some horror stories out there because there's a lot of coaches out there and while they might have the best of intentions they have not involved to the level of coach that has learned that you cannot teach or lead someone really i mean you have to lead you have to call them into a place and space to lead themselves yeah. I think that's everything, which is you have the wisdom within you. We each have the wisdom. Like there's no one that's going to come save you more than you're going to be able to save yourself. Like the the answers, you have the answers. A lot of the times it's just we're not a neutral space to be able to see it ourselves. As much as I'd love to be able to like, I know the tactics, I know the tools, I've had a coach. I am not a good coach for myself. I still, to this day, need coaches. I still have coaches and invest in the coaching. I have to because I have blind spots. And there's sometimes I need people to call me out of my stuff. Sometimes that's my wife. Sometimes that's, those are the people that I care and love and the peers that I have in my space. But it really is, I think that's what makes this work when it's really fun. I shouldn't say fun. It's not always easy. But what it's really amazing is when people get the light bulbs that they have the gift, they have the thing inside of them, they can be their own North star, they can be their compass. And sometimes just to be a facilitator in that space to hold space for an individual to ask questions for an individual so that they can figure it out. Um, that's the stuff that lights me up, because that's what changed my life that 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 is what I will always go back to right now. Um, Still chills. And it's it's so so true. I mean, it's the deep questions that that really do make the shift. So something that you said before too, and I just want to like, I don't know, echo it, repeat it, summarize it. When you had said that you had felt so like your identity felt so tied to work, I feel like that is, I think every single person can resonate with that in some particular way. I think mothers oftentimes arrive at a place where they can't mm -hmm. really identify themselves outside of being a mother. Um, it, it, there's like so many contexts for that. And to arrive in that space, it's, it's really not an easy place to remember who, who you are, which kind of brings me really into that next place in space, which is along this journey, there had to have been some super expanders. Uh, and I'm sure your, your coach was, was one of them, but I'd love to hear from you a super expander story. Some, someone that called you up, someone that really shifted and changed the trajectory of, of your life. So one of them has to be this coach. So his name was, is James McPartland. Um, he wrote two books called Unopened Gifts. He had a company, if you've ever been on a uh, treadmill called Star Trek, that was his company. And uh -huh. uh, he sold it back in the early 2000s for $200 million, which is a really big deal. But he still has a group called the JMAC Performance Group. He was my coach. And 
I think what was really interesting about him was there were times when he let me kind of wallow in my stuff. And there are times where he gave me really hard truths of, is this where you want to be? It was, do you want to go down this road again? Or do you want to change? And as opposed to someone that would always pull you up, like would make you or force you into a path, I think part of it was him kind of seeing where both paths would be for me, allowing me to feel both sides of it. And then kind of just walking with me and saying, okay, this is really what you want. Is this really where you want to go? And I think what it did a lot of times was it strengthened the muscle for me to be able to make my own decisions as opposed to always relying on someone to tell me what to do next, where the blueprint is, how I should be doing it. I think more importantly, it gave me the wherewithal to be like, no matter how bad it gets, you can always figure it out. It's just seeing the problem slightly differently. Um, and I think in entrepreneurship, it is, it's everything. I had, I'll give you an example. I had a lot of hate and resentment, which I referenced earlier toward that original company, especially the two owners that ran that company to the point where I've rarely wished anyone harm in life. I literally wanted to see these people burn for what they had done. And I don't think people can, I'll say, I don't, I don't blame myself for having that feeling, but I don't think I realized how much I had tied my own happiness. And it was almost like I was in a car at times and you'd mentioned these two people's names. And literally I was going from driving the car to being in the back and going down just a windy road. Like my emotions would just go. This would happen on the regular. Um, and what I began to realize in the lesson that was really given to me was, is what we typically don't like about other people are things that we don't like about ourselves. And seeing these two individuals reminded me of the times that I was dishonest with money, that I was dishonest with people, that I wasn't honest. And what that gave me was something really interesting. I could keep blaming them, or I was given the choice of, could you take radical responsibility of who you are? Can you apologize for the things that you've done wrong? And can you make a stand for doing right by people to the best of your ability? And what it did was it gave me the ability to actually love those two individuals. Same individuals that I felt were unethical. Doesn't mean I want them in my life. Doesn't mean that I will have them anywhere near my life. But it does mean that I have love for the individuals, for the lessons they taught me. Because without them, I don't have it. This maybe gets a little meta, but he said, what if, he said, what if in a past life, you sat across from these individuals and you guys made a pack that you would have this disagreement in the next life so that you could learn the lesson? Like, what if, like, we can make a million and one stories about how they did you wrong, but we, what if we made a story about how they did you right? And I started a practice of actually, he, he always used to say, we have, two, we have two people in our lives of that individual. So what he meant was, you have two versions of the individual you dislike. There's the real person and there's the one you have in your heart. Can you heal the one that you have in your heart? If you heal that one, you'll heal the one that when you actually interact with that other individual. So we had this practice of actually sending love and gratitude to this person. And it was the most ucky, uncomfortable feeling when I first started it. And by the, the end of it, I genuinely have a deep love. I don't like the person, but I have a deep love for the person for the lessons it brought me and the person it shaped me into. And those are, those still stay with me. 
those are priceless and powerful lessons. One that I'm sure everyone listening really has so much to to take from from that. And then the fact that the, there's a reframe always in in everything, right? It's it's flipping. Why is this happening to me? To how is this happening for me? And yeah, yeah, he definitely did a really great job of doing that for you. And I want to like, just thank you for being so vulnerable and open and honest and sharing that, because I think that we all have things inside of us always, even like when you look at your, your top core values, there's probably times when you have violated your own top core values, but that's not something that we would love to, to admit, right. It's like, but these are my core values. And so I feel like that's just a huge big thing for you to share. And there's so much truth in the fact that when we are triggered by something, that there's a reason why we're triggered. And typically, if you stop and look in the mirror, it truly is because you're fearful to admit that there is that element of you that's like lives inside of you. Yeah. Yeah. So much healing, so much wisdom inside of all of that. So thank you for, for sharing that powerful, super expander story. (laughs) (laughs) So inside of that, I'm sure there's really been a lot that connects to really what I'm about to ask you next, which is what is, what is your North star? What is really the thing that gets you up in the morning? The thing you're consistently, constantly striving for reaching for what is it? I think it's changed little by little over the years, but I think the core essence is the same, which is, so I'm stealing this shamelessly from James McPartland, um, who I just talked about. He has a book called Unopened Gifts, and his whole philosophy is essentially when they make you in in the mothership or the spaceship or wherever they make you, his philosophy is that they package you up with gifts, um, like Christmas, and they fire you down to the planets. And he said, the greatest shame is to be able to come back and whether you meet God, universe, source, whatever your belief system is, and you come back through the pearly gates or whatever it is. And he said, it's almost like, why didn't you open the gifts? Like, why'd you just leave them underneath the Christmas tree? And he said, the whole point, and I believe this as well, is like, is to like, take everything you were given, rip open all the bows. And he's like, you want to use them to the point where at the end, you're on a motorcycle, hair on fire, sliding across the finish line, saying that you used every last bit and ounce of what you were given. And that is what I used to think it was always, I used to have this thing. I always thought it was money. I always thought that it would bring me the happiness I wanted. Being on the boat and living in the house and doing the the things. And there's never a vacation I've ever not loved with my family, but it is, the money is a byproduct. The, The success and the fame and the recognition, it's all byproducts. I've had it and been miserable. I'm not saying that I've had it at the extreme levels, but to have some of it and to still be miserable is a really interesting feeling to be in. I am most alive when I get to use my gifts, talents, and abilities. And more importantly, when I get to use it to serve other people and watch them open theirs. That is the biggest high is to watch other people get to tap into their gifts, talents, and abilities. It's why I do what I do. It's why I care about this work and this space. And I think I will always do that in some capacity. The other half of it too is 
Hmm. We used to always have this conversation, myself and Jim, and we talk about this idea of like, would your daughter be proud of you? If she sat on your shoulder and looked over your shoulder day in and day out, she saw the work that you did, the conversations you had, the person you were, would she be proud of you? Because kids are always watching. And that's one of those areas where you're a parent too. Like we want to be good examples for our kids. Um, not just from a, like, I want to be a good parent, but from a, like, I want you to succeed in life. Like, I want you to be able to have a good head on your shoulders and do right by people and know the difference between right and wrong. And so that drives me too. Um, and it's a good balance because when I work, I work, but when I'm with family, I could care less about work. Um, it is complete, like it is off. Um, and so those two, I think those two things keep me sane. That is actually a, a definition of freedom to be able to be present in, in your life with your family and literally not, and I say not care, that's, it's not that there's not a not care, but you're so able to be present and unshakable in those moments. Like nothing matters more than sitting down and having dinner with my family. Like there's not a phone call. I don't care how much money I'm being offered or who's on the other line. Like I could care. I could care less. Um, doesn't mean I don't Love care that. about it when I'm in my work, but like it's, there's nothing better than when I'm there and just absolutely doing silly stuff with the family. So good. I love that. So inspiring in so many, so many ways. And I think it's like something that we all, we all struggle with from time to time is really, really turning off. Do you have, do you have a secret in how you're able to do that? <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's a secret to it. I just, last week, outside of a couple Slack messages to you guys, uh, I took the whole week off. I didn't touch it. I didn't get on a call. I didn't do any of it. Um, that was good for me. Uh, <laughs> My favorite trip of all time was actually going on my honeymoon with my wife. We went to a tiny village in Tuscany for three weeks. The funny part was there was no internet access. There was no phone service and there was no TVs. So literally for three weeks, the first seven days, I just paced. I could, I could not sit still. Just like, what is wrong with you? Like have a glass of wine, <laughs> like sit, read. And the last two weeks, I probably read 10 books in like 14 days and I did nothing. And it was the best vacation. And to this day, like it is the best vacation. And so I think tapping into that and knowing that life is okay without tech, um, I think everyone needs to experience it. Like you need three weeks to do it too, um, oh for your nervous system to really settle back down. So anyways. That's so good. That makes me think of like the few, very few times I have forgotten my cell phone when you leave the house and you don't have time to go back for it. And you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. The world is going to end. And and then, you all of a sudden, and then you're like, I have to talk myself off of this ledge here. It's going to be yeah. okay. It's all nothing. The, the world is not going to burn down in a day. <laughs> Uh, so good. Well, it is time for a super expander moment here. <laughs> okay. I'm ready <laughs> gonna, to play the game. Yeah. Yeah. So we're switching it up today. We're switching it up. I would love to know if you could invite someone dead or alive to dinner, who, who would it be so that you could like invite them to dinner to, to pick their brain? Who would it be and why? Mine's a little bit lame, but like, it well, kind of obscure. So I'm a big Golden State Warriors fan. I live here in the Bay Area. Um, I love watching Steph Curry. 
Who I'd want to actually go meet is the coach, Steve Kerr. I'd like to meet Steve Kerr for a couple of different reasons. One, he played obviously with Jordan. He was never the best person on the team, but he also was managing a group of players, superstars in their own right. Kevin Durant was there. Steph Curry was there. You had all these big egos. Um, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. I've always wanted to sit down and figure out how do you allow someone to be able to be in their element in space in their greatness and also work cohesively in a team, in a culture, in a way, right? That is for them, the way that play basketball. Um, it's also really interesting too, because he has a background um, where his grandparents were uh, refugees and, and immigrants as well. So I'm just, I'm fascinated by people that aren't always the most talented, but have found a way to coach very talented people. Um, and that's somewhat where I see my own self. Like I don't see myself as the most talented individual, but I get, I get to be surrounded, thankfully, sometimes with some very highly talented individuals in their fields. And to be able to help pull out greatness within them, to be able to at least be a part of the conversation. That's cool. Like that's exciting to me. Um, so that's who I'd want to go talk to. I, I want to meet the coaches. I want to meet the people. It could be Phil Jackson, it could be anybody. I want to meet the coaches that coach the players. I love this. All right. So now, now you have to make this a part of part of your mission, right? So maybe you need to start start reaching out. <laughs> maybe, maybe we need I'll do the Corey belts. Like, hey, I'm in, I'm in town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe we need to invite we can get him to come on the, the podcast and have like a super expander connector moment here. This is like actually my dream for the podcast. I want to like bring, bring people super expanders on and be like, Hey, come on the podcast. I have a big surprise for you. Like who is this guy? <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. So this has been such a, an amazing conversation. I'm so grateful for you for taking the time to share, share so openly, so, so vulnerably. So all your wisdom, how can, how can the people find you? How can they get into your world? What's the best way? They can't don't talk to me. No, just um, <laughs> at least not during dinner. <laughs> what time yeah, do you have dinner? No, so they don't text you. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> don't worry. I have no notifications on my phone, by the way, too. Um, so the best way is just to, uh, to find me on Instagram. So it's underscore just Jason, L-E-W, Jason Lou. Um, just find me on Instagram. Come DM me. Come say, hey. Then yeah, it's been an honor to be on here and have a conversation and let me go off the rails into, I'm sure, directions that weren't intended, but hopefully were helpful and conserved in some way, shape, or form. So the magic happens. I'm, I'm open for for things to go, you know, I'm just here to ask the questions and then listen to the, the genius that come, comes forth. So uh, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And I'll just say too, like, it's been an honor to be a part of the journey uh, to see you grow and develop. I think I've always had a lot of admiration for how strong of a leader and entrepreneur you are. There is something to be said about the tenacity that you have to go after what you really want. And you are an incredibly strong, bold, fierce entrepreneur that the world needs more of. And yeah, it's just an honor to be in this space. It's been wonderful to start to build this relationship more and more. And um, thanks for including me. 
You're a gem. Oh my goodness. Thank you. I received that. I'm blushing guys. I know you can't see me, but blushing, maybe, maybe my eyes are watering a little bit over here. Um, so grateful to have you to, for us to be on this journey together. So, so appreciate you. If you like what you heard, stop, drop, and leave a five-star review and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. As always, the best way that you can thank our amazing guests is to share your biggest takeaway and then tag us on social media.